We have not learned any parashiyot during the Pesach vacation because there was no reading. But now we go back to the regular programming. Shabbat is going to be parashat aharemot. And we're going to start from uh, the beginning of aharemot. Vaydaber Adonai and Moshe Aharemot Bene Aharon Korbatam Nefne Adonai Veyamutu. Now, this is a very important parasha. It's actually the parasha that we read on Yom Kippur. So pay very, very close attention. This is a uh, very special parasha, and it begins reminding us about the death of the two sons of Aharon. If you remember, we learned early in the parasha that the two sons of Aharon, Nadav and Abihu, they went into the holy, and it's a big argument what sin they committed, but whatever it was, a fire came out and consumed them. They didn't burn their bodies, just snuffed their souls. Their body was intact but they died instantaneously. So that she right away comes along and says that the first commandment in this week's Pedasha, God is going to tell Moshe to speak to Aharon, who is the acting Kohen Gadol, and he's going to tell him, be careful, you're not allowed to walk into the Holy of Holies, only on Yom Kippur. So if that's the commandment that God is restricting Aharon ways allowed to walk, and it's truth, the only place that the Kohenga, the only time the Kohen Gadol can go into the Holy of Holies is Yom Kippur. Let's review the Beit HaMikdash. Let's say here's the entrance of the Beit HaMikdash, so you walk in all the way to the west. At the oh. westmost point is the Kodesh Kodashim. And at that spot over there is the Ark. And you have the cherubs. Remember, we learned that in the early Parashiyot. It's the holiest place on the planet Earth. When you, go, when you go to the Kotel Ma'arabi, for example, most people, they face the wall. But according to the... You're really not supposed to face the wall. You're supposed to tilt a little to the left. When you're at the Kotel Ma'arabi, the obvious thing is you face the wall. No, you have to face the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies is to the left of the courtyard. Through the tunnel. Before, you're actually facing the Holy of Holies. And that's even today when we pray the Amidah, your Kabbalah, when you pray the Amidah, should be, if you're in America, you face east. Okay, that's towards Israel. But then in your mind, you have to have, not only am I facing Israel, I'm facing Jerusalem. Not only am I facing Jerusalem, I'm facing the temple. And in the temple, I want my prayers to travel through the Kodesh Kodashim. So that's, you have that in your mind at least. So now, Moshe Rabbeinu is being told, go tell your brother Aharon 
that he does not have uh, constant access to the Holy of Holies. He can only access it once a year of Yom Kippur. So the question of Rashi is, so why is it mentioned after the deaths of his two sons? Why do you have to mention the death of the sons of Aharon? Just tell Aharon, don't enter the Kodesh Kodeshim, only on Yom Kippur. So Rashi comes along and says, a mashal, a parable. In the name of Rabbi Azar ben Azariah, mashal lechole. The parable is to a sick person, sheniknats etzlo rofeh. So the doctor came to give him a checkup. Amar lo. So the doctor tells him, if you want to be cured, al tochal tzonen. Don't eat cold foods. Ve'al tishkav betachav. And don't sleep in a moist place. Another doctor came and said, Don't eat cold foods and don't sleep in a moist place. Because otherwise you're going to die like so-and-so did. Now the second doctor obviously was more effective than the first because he gave an example. He said, by the way, don't do this, because otherwise you're going to die like Mr. So-and-so. Now, when he gives the example like that, you say, whoa. So therefore, the same thing. God was telling Moshe, remind Aharon that his sons died, because they went into that area that they shouldn't have. And therefore, God is giving Aharon not only an instruction, but he's giving an example that if he does do it, Aharemot, remember what happened to the son. So it's a more effective commandment when it's uh, you know when you give a live example of somebody that broke the rule and paid for it in this case they paid for it with their lives and therefore the pasuk then comes along and says speak to your brother they should not go into the holies that she says should not die. And the pasuk then comes along and says that if the Kohen goes into the Holy of Holies when he's not allowed, he will actually die. And actually the rabbis tell us that there were many Kohanim that were unworthy, that they would go into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur and they would die instantaneously. And they would have to, they would put a string or a rope on their leg and because Hatzalah is not allowed to go into the Kodesh Kodeshim either. So they would put a rope on the on the Kohen's leg, and if he would die in the Holy of Holies, they would just pull him out. And during the second temple, where there was a lot of, you know, not uh, you know, not stand-up Kohanim, so hundreds of them died, you know, in the years of the temple. The first Beit HaMikdash, not so much, because the Kohanim in the first temple were actually uh, righteous. Nonetheless, the Pasuk says, speak to your brother Aharon, he cannot go at all times into the holy. Let's discuss this. Rashi says, because my cloud is always in the holy. What does it mean, God's cloud? which means that refers to God's presence is signified in the cloud. And therefore, we don't want you to go into that place because it's a, 
It's a holy place. That's where the presence, the cloud of God is. So you can't just walk in there casually whenever you want. That's the simple interpretation. However, the deeper interpretation that she says is, is that the only time Aharon is allowed to enter the Kodesh Kodeshim is when there's a cloud. What type of cloud? The cloud of the incense. Remember, what does Aharon do in the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur? When he went into the Holy of Holies, he did a special service called the Ketoret. He brought in a pan, and he brought in spices, and the pan had in it coals, and he would take the spices with his hands and pour it on the coals. And then the whole room would fill with smoke. That's the cloud that we're talking about. So the Pasuk is saying, the only time Aharon is able to enter the Holy of Holies is Be'anam. Be'anam meaning when there is a cloud. Cloud of Ketoret. And with this, Aaron will come into the Kodesh uh, with this. Now, he has to bring a sacrifice. What is the sacrifice he brings on Yom Kippur? Far ben bakar He brings a bull as a sin offering and an ayil and a ram for Ola. Now, the word bezot literally means with this, meaning with this sacrifice. But she says something amazing. The first Bet HaMikdash lasted exactly for 410 years. And if you take the word Bezot, Bezot, Bet, Zayin, Aleph, Tav, equals exactly 410 years. 410. So the Pasukas is saying, Bezot, during the 410 years, that's when the Kohen will enter the Holy of Holies is a rim is in the Torah, which is, shows you how beautiful and truth our Torah is, that this was even before the temple was built, the Pasuk was written. And the Pasuk is predicting that the Kohen will enter the Holy of Holies 410 times, the numerical value of the word Bezot. Bezot yabo aharon el kodesh And Rashi tells us again, only on Yom Kippur. When the Kohen goes into the Holy of Holies, so he must wear a certain wardrobe. Let's review. There's two wardrobes that the Kohen Gadol has. One has an eight-garment wardrobe, and one is a four-garment wardrobe. The eight garments have gold in them. And the, the four-garment wardrobe is all white. And the law is that he cannot go into the Kodesh Kodeshim wearing any gold. He only must go into the Holy of Holies wearing the whites. Anybody know why he cannot wear the gold garments when he goes into the Holy of Holies? It's arrogant. Uh, it's arrogant? Okay. And what? And outside the Holy of Holies, he's allowed to be arrogant? Hegel, because of the Hegel. Oh, there you go. There you go. Okay. Okay. We're, just, we're rusty. We didn't learn in two weeks. So now we have over here the reason is correct that in the Holy of Holies, where Aharon is going to ask God for mercy, you don't want to remind God of the sin of the golden calf. As we learned, the prosecutor cannot be the defender. And when you're wearing gold, it prosecutes especially when you're in the Holy of Holies, because God remembers the sin of the Holy Cat. So therefore, he must remove any gold garments, and he only wears the Bigdeh. Of purity. Exactly, Bigdeh Lavan. And she uses the uh, 
the words and katigor naasa sanigor that the katigor, which is the prosecutor, cannot be the sanigor, which is the defense. And the pasuk comes along and says, "Bigde kodesh hem." These are garments that are holy, and our rabbis learned from this that they come from the treasury of Kodesh. That means Aaron does not have to pay for his garments. The wardrobe is already paid for by the, by the public. The people pick up the, uh, the bill for, that, uh, for those garments. And the Pasuk tells us that before, there's a big Hadush that she's telling us here. Anytime Aharon gets dressed on Yom Kippur, he must wash himself before he gets dressed, and he must wash himself after he gets dressed. And he also must go to the mikveh. So that she comes and says that on Yom Kippur, he would change his garments five times. Which means he would wear initially the gold, then he would go into the Holy of Holies and change to white. Then he would come out and put back the gold. And then he would go back into the Holy of Holies a second time and put on the white. And then he would come out and put on the gold again. So he changed uh, his clothes five times a day. I'm sure some of the ladies do that every day. But Aaron only changed his clothes five times on Yom Kippur. And the Torah says that after each time he changes his clothes, he has to go to the mikveh. So therefore, uh, he went to the mikveh five times on Yom Kippur. You imagine that he's fasting, and it's not a you know it's not such a heated mikveh, a cold mikveh, and the the the, the, the rocks in Jerusalem on the floor are cold, and. <coughs> Before he puts on the garment, he has to wash his hands and feet. And after he puts on the garment, when he takes off, I'm sorry, when he takes off the first garment, before he takes it off, he must wash his hands and feet. And after he puts on the new garment, he must wash his hands and feet. So therefore, he must wash his hands and feet 10 times. One before he removes and one after he puts on. And since he does it five times, so it's five times two. So basically the Kohen Gadol goes to the mikveh five times and he washes his hands and feet ten times. So much. Yom that why? That why and, so much? <laughs> well, it's a matter of funniness. Anyway, so the Kohen is very, this is without COVID. He's washing his hands even in a regular year. He's got to wash his hands and feet ten times, and he goes to the mikveh five times. That doesn't sound like One more pasuk, Rabotai, umeet adat bnei Yisrael, and from the Jewish people, yikach shene seirei izim lechatat. The Jews, the people, have to bring two goats. And we're going to talk about those goats tomorrow night, which is the main topic. One goat is for a sin offering, and one goat is for 
קורבן עולה. והקריב אהרון את פר החטאתה שלו, אהרון ברינגס היס סין אופרינג פרסט, וכיפר בעדו ובעד ביתו. And it brings uh, atonement for Aharon and his family. Rabbi Zohar, a lesson over here. Aharon ultimately is going to ask for atonement from God that God should forgive all the Jewish people. But the law is that you can't ask atonement for others until you get atonement for yourself. So the first korban of Aharon is for his own family that he should have atonement for himself. It means first you have to clean yourself before you clean others. Before you ask for others, you have to cleanse yourself. That's why I'll give you a halakha we learned from this. You know, there's a custom on the day before Kippur, we do kaparot. And either we take a chicken or we take money and we swing it around our heads and we say, this should be my kapara. And then we go to our children and we wave it over their heads and we say, this should be kapara for you and this is kapara for you, etc. So the halakha says, And we learn it from here, that first you have to make the kapara on yourself. And after you make the kapara on yourself, then you can make the kapara for others. Just like Aharon, he brought the korban for himself first. He atoned for himself and then he's in a position now to bring sacrifices to atone for others. And that's where we're holding now. Tomorrow night, we'll pick up over here and talk about The famous two goats that were brought on Yom Kippur, uh, exactly, the Azazel story, which is really, uh, really incredible. Again, this is a very holy parasha, as I said. Learn it good, because this is going to be the reading that we're going to read on Yom Kippur. I know we're you know, a couple of months away from Kippur, but it's the last time we're going to read it before the high holidays. So get it good now, and you'll be able to uh, really understand. Even the end of this parasha, which maybe we'll get to at the end of the week, we read in Minhav Yom Kippur. Wow. So this, this is the Parashah of Yom Kippur, so you're getting Yom Kippur in the middle of the year, right after Pesach. That's why the hmm. rabbi said, this Shabbat is a Shabbat like Yom Kippur. Wow. It's a very holy Shabbat because you're getting a taste and a flavor of Yom Kippur because you're getting, you're reading the Parashah of Yom Kippur and therefore it's like a coming attractions of the oh, okay. uh, holy days that are ahead. So uh, don't miss... Don't miss being in Shul, the Shabbat is a very, very great Shabbat. Can I just ask you something, Rabbi? Didn't Aharon already have sort of a kapara? Didn't he lose his two sons already? Wasn't yeah, that yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but this is talking about in a general general year. Everybody needs kapara every year for the sins okay. that they did that year. So and every on Yom Kippur, Aharon has to atone for himself okay. for the transgressions and for his family. Just general kapara, nothing to do with, of course, oh. the, the sons of Aharon. That was kapara for the Egil, for him. Oh, okay. Now we're talking about other sins. So okay. every year, Aaron has to atone for himself, and then, his, then for the families of B'nai Yisrael. Rabbi, the class was very, very missed the last two oh, Yeah, we went to a trial. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Welcome. You're welcome. Welcome back. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you. Welcome back, everybody.
Thank you. We miss you. Thank you. <laughs> miss me. Thank you. <laughs> I miss you. Yes, I know. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Be well. Be well, everyone. Thank okay. you. Amen. Uh, we got to get out of here. Let's see. Because they didn't want to fall into becoming that
Shalom, shalom, everyone. Shalom, Malka. How are you? Hello, Oh boy. What? Somebody got somebody a platter. Oh, okay. <laughs> God. Waiting for the rabbi, Malky. Yeah. A before time. Give him a minute. Okay. See you later, guys. <clears throat> Here's the rabbi. No, he's not here. Yeah. Okay, okay well, here he is. Welcome. Shalom. We're continuing our study of the Perashiyot. We're in Perashat Acharemot. <clears throat> this is the parasha of Yom Kippur, as we said last night. These limudim are for the refresh of the Mahayah And we are at a very critical point over here, <clears throat> where we're talking about now the service of Yom Kippur, where we are now going to talk about the goats. So we have Eric Mute. Okay. We got it. We got it. okay, there we go. So we're at Parashat Halimot, uh, we're in Ted and we're at Pasuk Zayin. So the Pasuk begins, Now the Kohen Gadol, who's the administrator of all the service on Yom Kippur, he does all the uh, Avodah. So the service begins by taking two goats. And he stands them in front of Hashem. That's the place where he uh, stands them. And he places, literally, Goralot is lots, L-O-T-S, like a lottery. He puts two lots on the heads of the animal. One lottery indicates that the animal will be brought to God as a korban. And another lottery represents what we call Azazel. Now we'll discuss Azazel in a minute. And as she tells us, Aaron stands in front of the goats. One is to his right and one is to his left. He has a box. In the box, there's two pieces of wood. The box is called the Kalpi. And he puts his uh, he puts his hands in the box and he pulls out both of them together. So he has now a lottery in his right hand and he has a lottery now or uh, uh, you know whatever he chose in his left hand. 
ונוטל גורל בימין בחברו בשמאל, ונותן עליהם את שכתוב בו להשם. On meaning for God, ואת שכתוב בו לעזאזל. And the other one, it says the word Azazel, which we're going to learn now. And after he take, you know, what is Azazel? Rashi tells us it's actually a combination of two words. It's a mountain, first of all, more like a cliff. Az v'kasheh. So um, Az v'kasheh means suk gavoha. It's uh, rocky, very, very sharp, very steep. Incline, uh, as the pasuk says, it is gezerat in the middle of the of the desert. Um, Gezera is the name, uh, like a desolate area. Gezera means it's literally cut off. There's no no uh, inhabitants in this area where this cliff is. It's devoid of civilization. Um, she uses the word hatucha. It's cut off. And we'll see exactly what we do with this uh, with this cliff over here. So the pasuk says, So the one that the the animal that gets Hashem's name on it, the lottery that was chosen, that he puts the one for God, that's brought hatat. Uh, and he actually has to designate it, as she says. He says, Hashem hatat, that this animal is going to be for God, for a korban hatat. Now again, don't belittle what we're doing here. This is the service of Yom Kippur. And then it says, Vasa'ir, Hashem ala ala azazel. And regarding the other goat that got the lottery that's written on it, azazel, ya'umad hai, it remains and stands alive. Lifna Hashem. Again, temporarily it's going to remain alive. Eventually it's going to get killed. Lechaper alav. Ultimately it's going to bring kapara for the Jewish people. Lechalach otol azazel hamidbara. And it's going to be sent to azazel, to this cliff. Now, the, um, the Pasuk says that at this point, Bekriv Aharon. At this point, Aharon brings a korban called a, a par, a, a bull. And this is also for kapara, for himself, ba'ado, uba'ad beto, and his family. And then he brings his, um, his korban. And Rashi says that not only is it kapara for him and his family, but for actually... All the Kohanim, the Kohanim are called Beto, because that's considered the Bet Aharon, the house of Aharon. And uh, what was Aharon atoning in this animal? This animal specifically is for specific sins. Uh, if any of the Kohanim during the course of the year by mistake went into the Bet HaMikdash when they were Tameh, when they were impure, or they brought a Korban that was Tameh, so this is a kapara specifically for kohanim that unintentionally served when they were ritually impure. And now the pasuk says, 
Aaron takes a machta, machta literally is a shovel, and he fills it with kahale'esh coals, me'ala mizbeach, from the mizbeach melefne Hashem. This is the outer mizbeach. Remember, we learned there's two mizbeachs. There's one outer mizbeach, there's one inner one. And uh, the pasuk says, what does he do with these coals? Vehevi, I'm sorry, and he fills his palms with ketoret. Ketoret is the incense. And the Torah refers to this incense as daka. Now, what does it mean, daka? Daka literally means it is finely ground. Had to grind it. Now, Rashi asks the question, why does it have to tell us that the ketoret was grounded or grinded Every day they brought ketoret, and the ketoret, we know, had to be grinded. So why did you have to repeat again that it was ground? So we have a special law that says that on Erev Kippur, the Kohen Gadol would take the ketoret, and he would grind it again. This is a second grinding, which is referred to as daka min daka. Normally, all year long, the ketoret was daka. On Kippur, it has to be dakam and a daka. Now, for the men that are listening to this broadcast, you know we say this in the ketoret every day when we pray, yep. whether it's in Sharit or Minha. We say, uh, pituma ketoret We start talking about how the Kohen would do the ketoret. And we say that uh, every day he would grind it. But it says, He would bring it back into the grinder on the day before Kippur So that's a very, very important law that we're learning here tonight. That on Kippur, the Ketoret is different than all year long. Not in its ingredients, but in its fineness. And now the Torah comes along and says, uh, and he goes into the Holy of Holies. This is, again, something that the Kohen Gadol only does once a year. All year long, the Ketoret is brought on a special Mizbeach called the Mizbeach Ketoret. But this day of Kippur, you have coals and a shovel, and he has his hands filled with Ketoret, and he has to balance it, because he has to hold the Ketoret, and he has to hold the shovel, and he walks into the Kodesh Kodashim, and the Pasuk says, He then puts the coals down in front of the ark, and he takes the ketoret, and he pours it on the coals. And as he pours the ketoret on the coals, the whole Kodesh Kodashim starts to fill with smoke. So now the cloud of Ketoret fills the Kaporet, which is that area of the Kodesh Kodashim. That's by the, by the Ark. Now what does he mean? And Aaron should not die. That means if he does anything wrong, he's guilty. So therefore he has to be very careful not to make any mistakes over here. And this is not an easy, not an easy service uh, at all. You know, to do this ketoret. It's one of the hardest services. 
And then it says, He takes from his, his korban, the, uh, the bull that we said that he brought for kapara, and he sprinkles on the kaporet, so he sprinkles uh, with his uh, with his hand seven times, and Rashi explains to us how he does this. Uh, the pasuk says, oh, Rashi tells us, This is all from the service of uh, Yom Kippur. So I'll explain to you uh, what this means now. So first it says, that she says, First he sprinkles once, besides the seven. We're not, we'll talk about the one first. Uh, the first one, he sprinkles it towards the, towards the ark. Which means... You had over here um, the kaporet. The kaporet is the um, the covering of the of the ark, and he would take from the he would take from the he would take from the blood, and he would sprinkle it towards the towards the ark. Um, again. And then it says, And then in front of the kaporet, he would sprinkle seven more times. So one, and two, and three, and four, and five. So like in a, in a line. So it's one and seven. And the way we call that is, One is above, and and then seven are below. Like we say in Yom Kippur, that's exactly the sprinkling of the Kohen Gadol in the Holy of Holies. Now, there's a big question if uh, these actual uh, bloods touch the curtain or not. Because he's sprinkling them towards the curtain. So there's a different opinion. Some say it did not have to actually hit the curtain. It just was in front of the curtain. But some actually say that it actually hit the curtain itself. That means the curtain had actual uh, blood on it. That's a um, that's a big uh, a big argument over here. Now she brings it down over here. Fine. That she also points out that the first sprinkling, his hand was like this. So he would sprinkle it up. So the, it would go up in the air and then land down. So that's a hat le ma'la. Le ma'la means it would go up. And then sheva le mata, he would put his finger in the blood again and then he would sprinkle down. So you understand how we're doing it? The ma'la, and then the mata is the is the seven that went in the other uh, in the other direction with his hand facing down. 
Very good. Fine. I'm just see if we have a picture over here. I'm going to show you a picture over here of something. Okay, the, 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 again, like I said, the machlokat is, did it actually hit the kaporet, or did it go in front? Now the pasuk says, v'shachat etsa'ira hatat asher la'am, and then he slaughters the, the goat, that, the sin offering, asher la'am, for the, for that belonged to the people, and he brings the blood again, to the Kodesh, and he does the same thing, so he does one up, and then seven below. And it's kapara, for all the tumot, uh, if any Jew ever went into the Beit HaMikdash, when he was Tamer, this Korban atones for it, even if they did it, even if they did it on purpose. And now the Torah comes along and says, uh, And So he sprinkles it inside the Kodesh Kodashim, and then it says he goes outside the Kodesh Kodashim, and he does the same thing on the other side. So he does inside, and then he does it outside as well. And then as she says, so again, let's just review what happened over here now. Again, I hope you remember this by the time Yom Kippur comes, because this is really, we review this in the Musaf, and I guess it's important to know exactly what's happening. So far, we talked about the Kohen went into the Kodesh Kodashi. He went in once to ring the Ketoret. Okay, that's the coals, that's the spice, the special spices that were ground finely. And he takes the spices and he pours it on the coals and the cloud fills the Kodesh uh, Kodeshim. Nice. Now he goes out and he goes into the Kodesh Kodeshim again, second time. And this time he brings uh, his offering and the offering of the Kohanim. It's called the Par Hatat. And he dips his finger in and now he's sprinkling towards the Aron. The, the, we call that the uh, Kaporet. Kaporet is the covering of the Aron. And the first sprinkle, he goes like this, up. And then the, the other seven, he goes down in front of the Kaporet. Very nice. And now what does he do? Now he goes out and he does the same thing on the outside, meaning there's a curtain separating the holy and the holy of holies. So he goes outside and he sprinkles on the outside. 
Then he takes the goat that is atonement for the people. And it was the same thing. He goes into the Holy of Holies. He sprinkles towards the kapore uh, uh, once up and then seven down. And then he comes out again and he does the same thing on the outside. And then what does he do? Nobody's allowed to be with the Kohen Gadol when he's in the Holy of Holies. Uh, he's alone in there. This is kapara for him, for his family, and for all of uh, Bnei Yisrael. Now, if you uh, go a little further, the Yatsa el Mizbeach. Now he goes to the altar. Chiper ala velakach midam hapar umidam asair. Now he mixes the bloods. He takes from his korban, the goat, the the bull, and the blood of the uh, sair, the goat of the people. Venatan al kanot mizbeach saviv, and he sprinkles it on the corners of the mizbeach. Vehiza alav min adam beetzvod, and he sprinkles it on the Mizbeach seven times, and it serves as a kapara. Now, this Mizbeach that he sprinkles it on is called the Mizbeach HaZahav. That's the smaller of the two uh, Mizbeachs. And now it says, And now, he goes and brings uh, the Sa'ir, the goat of the people. Remember we said there was two goats? One was for Hashem and one was for Azazel. So now he goes and he brings the um, he brings the Sa'ir Ahai, the goat that's alive. One goat already they slaughtered and they sprinkled. Now the, we're talking about the goat that's going to go to Azazel. He puts his two hands on the goat and he uh, confesses it called Avonot Bnei Yisrael. It's incredible. He puts all the Avonot of Bnei Yisrael and all their sins on the head of this goat. It's an amazing story that this goat ends up getting all the sins of Bnei Yisrael on its head. And now it says that he takes the goat he sends it out. Somebody that was prepared for this job from yesterday. This goat carries all the sins of the Israel. And they go to this remote area. And they send it. What they really do is, is they walk it up the cliff and then they actually push it off the uh, the mountain and then it falls, rolls all the way down the mountain and as a result, uh, it brings kapara for all of the people. Now, that she comes along and he tells us now the seder of the avodah. I'm going to review now the Seder Avodah of Yom Kippur based on Rashi. Vezeh Seder Avodah. So he says, 
The first thing the Kohen would do on Yom Kippur, he brings the morning sacrifice. Now, we know that every morning, the Kohen would bring a Korban Tamid. So he does that on Kippur also, 365 days a year. When he brings the Korban Tamid, he's wearing the regular golden clothes. Again, that's the eight garments. Uh, and then after he finishes uh, bringing the morning Tamid, he also brings the regular Ketoret. Again, but we're not talking about the Yom Kippur Ketoret. He does the regular service on Kippur that he does on a regular day first. So he brings the Tamid Shel Shahat, and then he brings the uh, Ketoret. And then after that, he goes uh, and he, well, well now, just before he did that, he had to go to the Mikveh, by the way. That goes without saying. Now, after he finishes the Korban Tamid and the Ketoret, he has to go dip in the Mikveh again. And now he starts to do the Avodah of the bull and the, and the Sa'ir and the Ketoret. All that's in the Kodesh Kodashim that he does with his white clothes, like we learned last night. And then he dips a third time and he uh, brings uh, his ram, it's the Kohen's ram, and he brings the ram for kapara for the people. Uh, and he brings also the Qurban Musaf. Every holiday there's a Qurban Musaf. On Yom Kippur, the Qurban Musaf is uh, seven animals that are brought for Qurban uh, Ola, and he brings them uh, on the, on the Mizbeah uh, as well. After he finishes that, uh, he goes along and he dips a fourth time in the mikveh, and now he has to go back into the Kodesh Kodashim and he has to take out the shovel that had the coals. He has to remove it. And of course he does that with the white garments. And then he comes out and he dips again and he finishes bringing the uh, Korban Musaf and then he also brings the afternoon Korban Tamid he finishes bringing the daily ketoret, which Hefer was brought in the morning, and Hefer was brought in the uh, afternoon. And that's done again with the Big uh, Day Zahav. And then uh, the Pasuk said, in the interim, they would be sending out this Sa'ir uh, Ta'azazel, and they would uh, again throw it, off the, throw it off the mountain. Now, So that basically is the uh, the service of of the Beit Hamikdash on Yom Kippur. Rabbi, was done before before Musa. The what? The what? The Azazel was done before Musa. Yes. So again, I'm just reading over here. One more piece of Rashi. Oh, that's the Rashi that, 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 that I wanted to bring to your attention over here. The Pasuk says that he has to take the blood of the par and the blood of the Sa'id. And we said he mixes them up, like we learned, and he places them on the corners of the uh, Mizbeah. 
So he does them separately, and then he does them uh, when they are uh, mixed. Rabbi, was it a very scary thing to see? I don't think it was uh, scary. It must be, I mean, it's a novel thing to see. We don't have really anything similar to this in our service. Imagine going to a shul and you see blood and animals. and you know, Have some, some pictures if you want to see some pictures. Yeah, no, we know what the animals look like. I'm sure people can imagine what blood looks like. No, but we speak of the blood. What do you got? Well, show me what you're still talking about. Bring it close, Morris. How's that? Oh, there you go. Let's see. So you can blow it up. Let's see. Oh, we can blow it up. Let's see if we can get it here. So you're showing us, Mars, why I'm sprinkling the blood? Yeah, because that's the last thing you said. I have Azazel also, if you want to see no, that. No, but that's, that's, that's not in the Holy of Holies. That's on the small Mizbeah of the Ketoret. Right. He's placing the, the blood on the corners. Right. Good. You have another picture of when he's in the Kodesh Kodeshim? Yeah. Sure. Give me a second. Well, this is a, this is a Hechal or something. That's probably before it, right? That's also before. Yes, that's... Okay. Go when he goes to the Kodesh Kodeshim and you'll see how he sprinkles the blood. That's after the Azazel. Give me a second. What kind of book is that, Morris? It's uh, Rabbi Haber's book. It's called... Uh, oh, yeah. It's called Avodah. So that's that's the way it's... Go, go, go a little lower. Go, go a little lower, Morris. We can see the Mizbeah. Right. There's the Mizbeah. Right, that's where he gets the coals from in order to put the uh, ketor in. Right. He's carrying the animal, whatever, the coin okay. and he has the blood of the animal. So give us one more picture. Page. Page. I'll just throw the diagram. It doesn't show him sprinkling it. But... That's the Mizbeah. Yeah. That's the ramp. Okay. That's actually the Beta Magdash. Okay, but go, 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 Mars. You, you don't see him when he's in the bed in the Kodesh Kodashim. They didn't show any pictures of that. Okay, that's what I was looking for. I didn't see that. Now look again. Give me a second. It should go in order. No, after that, that's it. That's all the pictures. That's all it is. Okay, that's basically, that's basically the. Uh, that, that unfortunately, we don't have this today. The only thing that we have is the lip service, which means. We read it, and God uh, considers it as if we uh, we actually did it. But you know, until uh, until the Beit Hamikdash will be rebuilt, we're, we're lacking all this uh, all this kapara. Now, there's really no logic to it. You know, how does this blood atone and things like that? But it's this kodesh. I don't know. If this is what you said this before. Might yeah. not be it, but that's what the sprinkling does. Oh, 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 very good. Go, go, bring it lower so we can see it. You see his hand, by the way. You see his yes. hand. That's the first sprinkling. His, his palm is, is is facing up. Right. So when he sprinkles in the blood, his, his finger goes okay. up like this. Then you have this here. Good. And then you see that's down. That's the seven. See his arrow, finger is now facing down. Very good. And you see on the floor, that's the ketoret. Yeah. So the ketoret is is, 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 is is becoming like a cloud. And right. he's sprinkling the blood so what, the, uh, what does it say there? Sheva? Sheva the Mata, Sheva the Mata. Sheva Mata, very good. What else? Give me one more. Okay, very good book. 
Where was the curtain oh, that we here. were talking? Oh, the curtain. Very good. Yeah, so the curtain. Really, that was the curtain. Yeah, we mentioned. No, this curtain. is the holy of holies. The, the curtain is on the other side. Right. When he le when he leaves the kodesh kodeshim, move, move it a little more. So you can see the curtain probably behind the kohen. Is there a curtain behind him on that picture? Notice he's wearing white, and when he's yes, out, you he don't see the gold. That's right. He has to wear white. That's the kohen. Yeah. Yeah. But there should be a picture of the of him out. Well, showing, now. Showing, I'll show you. I'll show you Look at the beads. Look at the beads. That's showing you the curtain behind it. You see that? Showing Is you that like the this string ho holding his leg? The 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 Kohen? Oh, she's right. Yeah. No, no, they, they, that could be that. Exactly. Yeah, in case he dies or whatever. They pull That's the string just in case they have to pull him out. Exactly. Wow. Interesting. You see that? That's what that was. Just mark. Is there one picture just for yes. clarity of him sprinkling on the curtain on the other side of the Kodesh? I'm looking now. Well, he I could see him. Proclaims that enters the Kodesh Kashim. Yeah, from the to the left. That's what it says here. So you can see from the see what it says. Oh, here. right there. So there's yeah. the curtain. So, so this is the Holy of Holies, because that's the cherubs. Now, right. when he walks out, that's the curtain separating. So he's going to sprinkle on the other side. The same thing. Whatever he does inside, he does as well outside. Right. You see the arrows. So it's going to go around. Whatever. It's doing. Oh, it says it right. It, it tells me goes around. And the argument we have over here is. Does he actually sprinkle on the curtain or does he sprinkle in front of the curtain? That's a discussion uh, in the Talmud. Okay. Mars, I appreciate it. Amazing. Thank you. look clearer. Okay, Hazak. Tomorrow night, Mars, bring that book tomorrow night. You can use it. <laughs> Thank Isn't you. It? Okay. Hazak, if you watch the Stay tuned. Good night.
Hello, hello, everyone. Hello, Malky. How are you? How's everybody? Hello, Hashem. All good. Thank God. Thank God. Stay well, happy, healthy, and peaceful. Yes, amen. Did it get warmer by you, Marky? The weather's nicer, right? Very cold. <laughs> it's still very cold? Oh, my goodness. And tomorrow, even more, 35 degrees only. <laughs> oh, what happened to springtime? I don't know. <laughs> Got his own plan. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Is that a shame? Is that a shame? It'll come soon. Yes. In summertime, we will, uh, uh, like, uh, miss that cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, Tabotai. Good news. I just landed. Okay, here's the rabbi. Baruch Hashem yes. just made it home. Welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome back. God bless all you, Monster. I hope everybody's okay. All good, Baruch Hashem. <clears throat> All right, Rabotai. Refuah Shilema Hayasara Batsumha. And we're uh, we're almost okay. at the end of the Seder of uh, Avodah of Yom Kippurim. Last night was tremendous. We learned about a few things. We learned about the sprinkling of the blood, one up, seven down. It was sprinkled inside the Holy of Holies. It was also done on the outside towards the curtain. We also learned about the different clothes that the Kohen Gadol wore. He wore white clothes in the Holy of Holies, and he wore the gold clothes outside. Well, that's called Bigdeh Lavan. That's the white clothes. And then Bigdeh Zahab is the gold clothes. We also learned about very, uh, very interesting concept of the Kohen putting his hands on a goat and then bringing it to a very steep and uh, sharp cliff and the cliff was called Azizel and uh, the, they would stand behind this uh, this uh, Sa'id, this, this goat and they would push it off the mountain and uh, somehow that would serve as a kapara for all the sins of B'nai Israel, even intentional sins, even sins that are punishable by karet, certainly unintentional sins as well. This was all part of the service that was done. And don't forget, one of the main things that I didn't uh, mention, and that was the ketoret. If you remember, we all learned that the ketoret of Yom Kippur was unique in the sense that it was extra fine. 
like we learned daka mina daka, and they would take it into the grinder on Erev Kippur the day before, and they would grind it specially, and the Kohen would bring the uh, Ketoret into the Kodesh Kodashim with coals that he took from the Mizbeach, and he would place the coals in front of the Aron, and then he would take his handful of Ketoret and he would pour it on the coals, and uh, and the room of the Holy of Holies, the cavity, would be filled with smoke. Incense. Yeah. Exactly, the smoke of the incense. And uh, again, all these were exclusively done by the Kohen Gadol. On Yom Kippur, he gets no help. He's the, uh, he does everything himself. The Avodah is only Keshera with the Kohen Gadol. So it's a very busy day, and uh, you have to keep in mind, he's fasting like us. And he doesn't sleep the night before. The Halakha says he has to stay up all night as well learning. So it's like a whole night marathon and the next day working the whole day and it's very tedious work like we learned last night. If he makes any mistakes, the service is rendered uh, invalid. Now we also learned how many times the Kohen had to change his clothes in the course of the day, going from gold to white, to gold, to white, to gold again. And every time that he would change his clothes, he would have to go to the mikveh. So he would need Tevila. So the Kohen Gadol would dip in the mikveh five times on Yom Kippur. And eight times? They changed the clothes? Eight times? Eight times to change the clothes? Ten times. No, not eight and not ten. Not five, not ten, not eight. No. How about you just listen? Five. Five times, exactly. Five times. And every time he would dip, he would have to go to the mikveh, and also, every time he would change his clothes, he would have to make what's called kiddush adayim v'raglayim. He would have to wash his hands and his feet, which is a separate besides the mikveh. And that was done uh, when he took off the clothes and when he put on the new clothes. So that's another 10 times of kiddush adayim v'raglayim. And again, that's just in, uh, you know, a quick, quick review of what we actually learned last night. It's funny, when you're learning it, it goes, you know, slow, because you're trying to get all the words right, but we ended up learning a lot. You know, when you review it, you say, wow, we ended up doing a lot of stuff. Now, the um, the Torah is going to tell us in Pasuk Chavkima, uh, this is after they threw the goat off the mountain, ufashat so he takes off his Bigdeh Habad. Bigdeh Habad is the white, the white garments. And then he puts on the gold garments in order to bring the afternoon korban. Because I want to remind everybody, Yom Kippur doesn't override the normal daily service. There's certain things that were done every day in the Beit HaMikdash. For example, every day they had to bring a tamid shel shachar. Every day they had to bring a tamid shel ben arba'im. Every day they had to bring ketoret. That was still done on Yom Kippur. Besides the extra services, like we said, the ketoret of Yom Kippur, the sa'ir of Azazel, the sa'ir that goes on the mizbeach, uh, uh, besides the musafin that we talked about. So after the quen finishes everything, he puts his clothes back on the gold ones. 
and he brings the afternoon korban, which was a daily korban. And the pasuk says, after he finishes using his white clothes for the day, v'hiniham sham. And this is what we came to talk about today. Rashi says, what does it mean? He shall leave them there. Leave them where? So Rashi says, melamed shete'unim geniza. So the halakha says that he's not allowed to wear the Bigdel Laban again. Once he wears them one year, he takes them off after he's done and he leaves them there. He puts them in Geniza. You don't wear last year's clothes. Uh, after the service on Yom Kippur, the begadim become you know, uh, unusable anymore. And nobody can wear them. So the Pasuk says again, Niham Sham. He leaves it there and um, they'll never be used again. But that's a very important halacha. And now he has to uh, immerse himself in the mikveh once he takes off the garments the last time. She just tells us that just like when he goes from the uh, gold to the white, he needs a tibila in the middle. When he goes from the white to the gold, he also needs a tibila. Because in this pasuk over here, it's talking about that he took off his white clothes and he puts on his gold clothes. And the pasuk says, which we don't only think you, you 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 could have thought maybe only when you're wearing the white clothes you needed to be locked because those are the clothes you're wearing in the Kodesh Kodashim. So that she says no, even when you put on the gold clothes which you're using outside the Kodesh Kodashim, it also demands a uh, tevila. Now where was this mikveh, by the way? So the Torah says b'makom kadosh, literally means in a sacred place. Ham mekudash mektushat azara. So the area of the mikveh had the sanctity of the Beit HaMikdash. So there was a certain area. Uh, it was called the House of Parva. It was on the grounds of the Beit HaMikdash. And um, there was a certain Persian guy, the Gemara says. His name was Parva, and he built this chamber. And they named it after him. And... Um, he would, uh, he would, the queen would dip in this, um, in this mikveh. So it's interesting, it was on the roof. You ever have a rooftop mikveh? You heard of a rooftop pool, I'm sure. But now you're hearing about a rooftop mikveh. It was on the gag of Bet Bilot. Four of the uh, five dippings were done in this mikveh. Shona, the first tibila, uh, which was done every day, Haitabehol, was done in an unconsecrated area, which means every day that the Kohen Gadol went to serve, he had to go to the mikveh. That's every day. 365 days, he has to go to the mikveh. 
So the first tevilah does not have to be done in the holy area. It could even be done in an unconsecrated place, including the first tevilah of uh, Yom Kippur. That means when he entered the, you know, the courtyard in the morning, there was the mikveh located on, uh, it was called Sha'aramayim. And uh, Sha'aramayim was not considered consecrated. Only Betta Parva was considered consecrated. So that's why, although he went five times to the mikveh, only four of them were in a consecrated place. One of them was in, you know, a unconsecrated place. And now the pasuk says, Belavash et begadav. Now he puts on his garments. His garments means the garments that he usually wears all year round, which is the eight garments. And that's uh, the clothes of the uh, Kohen Gadol. Again, the, the white garments are four. The eight garments, uh, the Big Dezahab are eight. V'yatsa ve'asat olato ve'et olata'am. And then he goes to the Mizbeach and he brings some more korbanot. Uh, again, one for him, one for the people. He also brings the fat from the korban hatat. He puts them on the uh, Mizbeach. And then it says, and the, uh, the different animals, the bull and the uh, goat, those bloods of those animals, like we learned last night, was sprinkled in the Kodesh, um, like we learned. So what do they do with it? So over here, they take the rest of the animal and they burn it outside of the, of the camp. Orotam is the hide, the skin. Besaram is the flesh. And the and the waste. So after they bring the uh, 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 the um, uh, oh I'm sorry. And the pasuk also says that the one that sent the sa'id la azazel, he also has to go to the mikveh as well. That's uh, and they take the rest of these korbanot the ones that they sprinkle their bloods inside the Kodesh Kodashim, and they take it and they burn it outside of the of their camp. The one that burns these korbanot outside the camp, then he comes back into the camp. Now the Torah says, This will remain an eternal decree. The seventh month, which is the Shri'ah. On the tenth. Here's a very important Pasuk. Here's the Pasuk where we learn that you have to fast on Yom Kippur. Now, Ta'anu means you have to afflict yourself. And the rabbis don't over here, afflicting yourself by not doing the work and not eating. And we're not allowed to do work on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is like Shabbat. Uh, because it is on this day, God shall provide atonement for you, and he should cleanse you from all your sins in front of God 
you shall be cleansed. Shabbat, Shabbatoni. There we go. Kippur is not only called Shabbat. Kippur is actually referred to in the Torah as Shabbat Shabbaton. It has a Kedusha double Shabbat. And And this is an eternal de- decree that everybody has to afflict themselves. And we know that they afflict themselves by not eating. So the Pasuk says over here that the Kapara of Yom Kippur, I'm reading Gadol. it can only be performed by the Kohen Gadol. Again, because this whole parasha was talking to Aharon. So don't think it's only Aharon. So the Pasuk says, any Kohen Gadol that comes after Aharon as well. So the Pasuk says, the Kohen that comes after Aaron, that means the Kohen that succeeds him, also is um, has the uh, uh, obligation to do this avodah. She says, he will be like Aaron. He will be allowed to do the service. And not only is he allowed, but he's the only one that's allowed. What does that mean? And the one who has been given the authority. Shiachol, that you might have thought, at a certain, the earlier Kohanim, in the first Beta Mikdash, they were anointed with special oil. The oil was called Shemin Mishcha, anointing oil. That was the oil that was made from the times of Moshe Rabbein. But in the times of the second Beta Mikdash, they did not have this oil anymore. So how would you inaugurate a Kohen Gadol? So it says they would just put the clothes on him. And that was called Mirube Begadim. So how do we know that even a Mirube Begadim, somebody that was inaugurated by wearing the clothes, because again, there was no oil in those times. How do we know he's also suited to be a Kohen Gadol? Whoever was given the authority, it's all the Kohanim Gedolim. From when? From King Yoshia and on. From the times of Yoshia, um, the Torah tells us that the oil of anointment was not in, uh, in use anymore. For whatever reason, they hid it. So how did they inaugurate Kohanim? They would just put the eight clothes on them. And the wearing of the eight clothes would serve as the um, installation of the Kohen. So the Pasuk is saying, whether you're a Kohen that was installed through Shemin HaMishcha, or whether you're a Kohen that was installed just by wearing the garments, you are suited to serve on Yom Kippur. And we said that uh, by bringing these korbanot, it atones for all the sins. The sins of the Kohanim. What are the sins of the Kohanim? That if by mistake or even by purpose, if they went into the Beit HaMikdash when they were impure, or they brought a korban when they were impure. 
So during the course of the year, they might have done this, again, intentionally or unintentionally. So they need kapara. So Kippur also was mechaper for them. Furthermore, this will be a law for the ages. Atonement for B'nai Yisrael Mikol hatotam From all their sins Ahat b'shana, it's unbelievable Once a year And the Pasuk says That when the first Yom Kippur uh, came Asa kesedir Aaron performed Exactly what he was supposed to do Lehagid Shevachosh Aaron Beautiful. The Pasuk is coming to say that don't think Aharon wore the garments for his personal glory. The Pasuk is going out of its way to say, He wore the garments because Hashem told him to wear the garments. Even though they glorified garments, the Kohen Gadol wears eight garments. There's the Hoshen, there's a special hat, there's a special belt, according to some opinions. So therefore, the Pasuk is coming to tell you the praise of Aharon. And what's the praise of Aharon? That he didn't do it for his own greatness. Uh, Aharon did it only because to fulfill the decree of, uh, of God. It's coming to tell us that, because otherwise, why does the Pasuk have to say that Aharon uh, uh, fulfilled, uh, did, the, did, it, did as, he, as he is commanded? Of course, Aaron is going to do as he's commanded. Aaron is a Sadiq. So the Pasu is going out of its way to say he did as he's commanded, meaning the only motivation was not for personal kavod or personal glory or any other personal benefit. The only motivating factor to Aaron was because he was commanded. Even though it's a very you know, prestigious job that did not affect Aaron at all. On the contrary, what motivated Aaron was it motivates all the tzaddikim. It's Ritzon Hashem. So there you go. We got to Hamid. We got to And tomorrow night, I guess we're going to see some more uh, about uh, about some of the laws of Korbanot. Okay? So stay tuned. Uh, again, we do this for the Fuashlema. You want to see the rooftop uh, I ask our members not to forget uh, the Sfirata Omer last night was 10. And of course, do not forget the Kiryat uh, Shema. Okay. See, Mars, Mars is doing something there. I'm not too sure exactly what he's doing. He's up to his shenanigans. But nonetheless, you want to see the rooftop Mikvits right there. We wish. We wish we wish our members a Laila Tov. Good night. Thank you. Thank you. Good
Hallo? Shalom, shalom. Hallo? Shalom, shalom. Shalom, shalom, everyone. Shalom, Malki. How are you? How are you? Everybody's okay. Everybody's okay, except it got cold here again, Malki. It must be freezing by you. <laughs> yes. It got That's cold. It's too cold for us. Yeah. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Hi. Good. We're waiting for the rabbi, Malki. Relax. Yes, she knows. Okay. God bless all of you, Mamushki. God bless all of you. God bless. That's Mamushki, you see? Mamushki. That's right, Sarah. Don't take my name. <laughs> my friend Vicky. We, we oh, just, we, we just Mamushka, it means my mother. The rabbi's oh, here. Okay. Hello, Hi, Welcome. Good evening. Good evening. Shalom, shalom, Rebbe. Shalom. Aleichem berachat tova. 
Ahalemot, it's Vrifashrima Hayasara Batsamha, and we are uh, in Perek Yudzain. We start the new chapter tonight. By the Bira the Rhine Moshe Lemot. So God speaks to uh, Moshe. The Bir El Aharon Bel Banav the El Kol Bene Israel. Speak to Aharon, speak to his children. The El Kol Bene Israel for that matter, speak to the entire uh, people. And speak to them. This is the matter that Hashem is commanding uh, to the people, saying, Ish, 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 Ish means any man from Bene Israel, Mebet Israel, from the house of Israel, Asher Yishat Shor Ochesev Oez Bamahane. Okay, we're talking about now somebody that wants to slaughter. A short is an ox, a kesev is a sheep, ez is a goat, and he wants to slaughter it in the in the camp. Now, what are we talking about over here? So that she says, uh, We're talking about over here where these are korbanot. They're consecrated, which means they were designated for uh, offerings. Lakrib korban. But, he slaughtered it in the Mahane. Now, the Mahane is in the camp outside of the courtyard of the Beit HaMikdash. So let's review. Whenever you're slaughtering a sanctified, consecrated uh, animal, it can only be slaughtered in the Azara. The Azara is the, the, the courtyard of the Beit HaMikdash. Now the Torah is going to talk about somebody that slaughters this Korban outside, and it's obviously illegal. Or he slaughters it outside of the camp. He did not bring it uh, in front of Hashem in the area that's close to the Mishkan. So his punishment is Dam Yahashev La Ishahu. It should be considered as blood for that man. Dam Shafak, he has spilled blood. This is an amazing Torah law that says since he slaughtered this Korban in the wrong place meaning he slaughtered it outside the Azara, the courtyard of the temple, is considered as if he slow, if he spilled somebody's blood. Now, we know if God forbid you take somebody's life and you spill somebody's blood, so then you have to pay with your life. And the Torah is telling over here that Obviously, he didn't take anybody's life over He slaughtered an animal, but it's grounds for being punishable uh, by a severe punishment called karet. Now, karet, uh, God forbid, is premature death. So, obviously, the Torah holds this in a very, very high uh, esteem, this law. That it's not enough that you slaughter the korban correctly, but you have to slaughter it in the right place. If you slaughter it, outside the designated area so that the Torah levies a very, very uh, serious punishment. Dam Shafach, 
that she says it also includes that somebody that sprinkles the blood of a korban outside of the azara as well. As we know that the korban's blood is sprinkled inside the temple on the Mizbeach, but if somebody not only slaughters, but even sprinkles the blood outside of the designated place, it's going to be punishable by karet. And now the pasuk moves on to say, uh, this is an order that the Jewish people will uh, bring their korbanot to the kohanim that are in the tent of meeting, which is the oil moed of the Mishkan. And therefore, we want to get them in the habit of slaughtering it, uh, as we said, in the right uh, in the right place. And the Kohen will take the blood and slaughter it, and I'm sorry, sprinkle it in the Zbeyah. And then always the Kohen takes the fat of the Korban, and it is brought on the altar. It is a, uh, the smoke goes up and is satisfying aroma in front of Hashem. Now, literally, this means that they should no longer bring their korbanot to the demons. It seems that the uh, goyim used to bring to their demons. And um, it seems that uh, that was very prevalent in the times of the uh, of the uh, of the of the of the Torah, and uh, therefore the Torah is telling us over here that the Jewish people should not bring korban to the demons to serve Abu Dazara, but they should bring it specifically to the Kohanim. Um, um, and uh, the Kohanim will bring it uh, with the kabana with the intention for God. And now we move on to the next item. So if you want to know what that's called in Jewish law, it's called Shekotei Chutz. Shekotei Chutz again means if you slaughter the Korban Chutz outside the designated uh, place. And now you should say to the people, Ish Ish Mebet Yisrael, any man from the house of Israel, or from the convert that lives amongst you, that he wants to bring a korban ola. Korban ola is a korban that is totally uh, brought on the Mizbayah. It's complete. Um, and the Torah is telling us over here that even if he slaughtered it inside in the right place, but if he burns the limbs outside of the grounds of the Beit HaMikdash, he will be liable as well. So now uh, we have uh, two different sins here. We have slaughtering the korban outside, and we also have now 
actually offering the korban outside. So let's say you have two guys, you have an uven and shimon. Let's make a case now. Let's say the uven slaughters the animal outside of the azara. So the uven uven is now guilty of seven. You have one. And let's say shimon now takes the uh, korban that Uven slaughtered, and he sacrifices it. So Shimon is going to be guilty of karet as well. So you could have two different people, two different things, and they're both going to be hayab karet. Uven is hayab karet for slaughtering it outside the azar, and Shimon will be hayab karet because he actually offered it outside of the azara. And that's the uh, Torah law over here. Again, God forbid he dies uh, prematurely. Now we get to the next law. Again, a man that comes from the house of Israel. All right, now we're talking about somebody that somebody that wants to eat blood consumes any blood and that's against the Torah law by the way Uh, uh, the Torah comes along and says that the purpose of the blood of the Qurban is to bring atonement and therefore uh, the Pasuk comes along and says that uh, he's not allowed to not only eat blood of atonement, because that's what we're talking about now, but for that matter, it's just called down. Any blood for that matter is going to be uh, forbidden. Not only blood of sacrifice, but for that matter, any. And what's the punishment? There you go. The punishment is also karet. So everything we're talking about tonight has the severe punishment of karet. So, so far we learned about sacrificing outside the azara, uh, slaughtering outside the azara, and now eating blood. All three have one in common. They're all punishable by uh, karet. Rashi says over here that the soul of a person, of every key creature, is in the blood. Uh, I guess the blood is the life uh, plasma of the person. And therefore, God says, the purpose of the blood is to atone, which means, let's say you have a person that made a sin, so when they put the blood on the Mizbeah, uh, the blood serves as a kapara, the blood of the animal. However, it's only brought for atonement purposes, which is let the mm. soul of the animal, so to speak, atone for the soul of the mm. of the person. However, it is not mm. for consuming purposes. And therefore, the Torah comes along and says, Alken amarti Yisrael, kol nefesh mikem lo tochal dam. That any uh, of you, uh, adults for that matter, minors as well, loto kaldam, you cannot eat the blood, as well as the convert amongst you, 
Lo yochal dam. Okay, now let's get to one more law. The next law uh, is ve'ish ki ve'ish ish v'bnei Yisrael u'menager agar petochem. You have a uh, a man well, from the children of Israel amongst you, or from the covenant. Asher yatsud said haya of. Okay, he trapped a uh, a bird. Or he trapped, let's say, you know, a type of animal. Uh, for example, let's say he trapped a uh, domesticated animal, uh, like a, uh, a chicken or uh, a goose or something like that, or a, a deer. In these cases over here, uh, what does he have to do? He has to slaughter them. So the Pasuk says, Asher uh, again, his intention is to eat it. That means we're talking about only kosher animals over here, kosher fowl that are edible. The shafak hitamo, he spills the blood and he has to cover the blood. It's a very important law in Judaism. When you slaughter the animal, you must cover the blood. This is the mitzvah called kisui hadam. If anybody... Uh, ever did kaparot or any of these mitzvot where you slaughter a chicken or a bird, you take some of the dirt and you throw it on the uh, on the uh, on the blood and you fulfill a, a mitzvah. Beshafach et tamo bechisau be'afad ki nefesh kol basar tamo menavshohu va'amar lebnei Yisrael dam kol basar lo tochelu. Again, the Torah warns us not to eat the blood. Ki nefesh kol basar tamo hu kol ochelav yikaret. That's the second time. The Torah comes and tells us that uh, if somebody eats uh, the blood, uh, one is going to receive, God forbid, the punishment of uh, karet. Finally, uh, the Torah comes along and says, in the last passage of the night, nefesh asher nevela utrefa. Uh, this is important, Rabotai. Whether somebody eats a nevela, or a tefa. What is a nevela? So a nevela is talking about, let's say you have a bird, kosher bird, but they did not slaughter it correctly. You have a kosher bird that was not slaughtered correctly. It's called a nevela. Uh, and if a person eats that, uh, once it goes into his, uh, um, into, his uh, into his throat, it becomes immediately uh, Again, when he touches it, it will not become Tameh, the person. Now we're learning that when you eat something that was not slaughtered correctly, like a kosher bird that was not slaughtered correctly, well, very simple, it died. So it wasn't slaughtered at all. So it's called a nevela. So when he eats it, the second the food gets into his throat, it renders the person uh, ritually impure. Uh, and you have a terefa. Now, what is a uh, terefa over here? Uh, we have over here uh, a case that, that she explains where you have an, a bird that was not a kosher bird. That's called nevlat of tameh. Uh, so the Torah says that uh, that case over there uh, does not metameh the person when he uh, when he eats it. I'm reading that she's words. Yachol tehen nevlat of tameh metameah would you think that a non-kosher bird that was not slaughtered correctly or just, let's say, died, would you think that when you eat it, it makes the person tamet? Tamud lomad utrefa. 
only types of animals that can become terefa, which is can become, uh, 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 let's say, blemished. But a non-kosher bird cannot become blemished. It's blemished already. It's not kosher already. So therefore, the law does not apply. And therefore, this law, again, is referred to the law as nivlat of tahor, that a kosher bird that was not slaughtered correctly and the person ate it as he eats it, it renders the person tamer. And what does he have to do as a result? Well, what does a person do when he becomes tamer? He has to go to the mikveh. He has to wash his clothes. And he's got to go into the mikveh. And he's tamer until the evening. If he does not wash himself, now what does that mean? He will make a sin. What's the sin if a person doesn't go to a mikveh? It should say, if he doesn't go to the mikveh, he's tamer. Why is it a sin if he doesn't go to the mikveh? So that she says, it's a sin if he will eat holy foods when he is tamer. Or let's say he'll go into the Beit HaMikdash when he's tamer. So therefore it's a mitzvah to go to the mikveh, and if you don't, and you did something or came in contact with holiness, that is going to be the sin. And it says finally, if you didn't go to the mikveh, uh, and the pasuk comes along and says uh, that if he doesn't immerse his body, he is uh, punished by uh, karet. And if he doesn't rent, uh, wash his garments, the punishment is going to be uh, lashes. Now, I'm assuming that the punishment of karet is going to be only if he um, let's say uh, went into the Beit HaMikdash when he was Tameh. Again, if he didn't do anything, then he's not going to be Tameh. He's not going to be you know, punished for anything. He's just Tameh. But if he did not go to the Mikveh and he walked into the temple or he ate things that are Kodesh, so then the Torah says uh, he gets a punishment. And again, uh, that is the, uh, the theme of the night. The punishment again is Karet. So we learned about a lot of God forbid crimes that a person could commit that he will be uh, punishable by the karet. So that is uh, the rendering for tonight. Good news, we did the whole chapter. Now tomorrow night, which is the last night of our uh, week for the parashah, is the reading for Yom Kippur Minha. So it is an important reading. This is the reading we're going to read on Menhav Yom Kippur. So the beginning of the parashah was the reading we did in the morning, and the uh, end of the parashah is the reading that we do in the afternoon. So stay tuned for a very, very important uh, piece tomorrow night. We'll stop over here. Thank you, Oh, I had a question. Yes. What do the slaughterhouses do with all the blood when they do that? Do they have to always well, bury the blood? So, so, yeah, well, it depends. There's, it's only by um, by by uh, fowl oh, and, and, birds. Okay. and domestic, so birds and deer, not by cows. Oh, okay. So there's no, but yeah, if you go to the chicken houses, yeah, they're always oh. covering the blood, 100%. Wow. wow. It's, it's a good misvah to do if you haven't got a chance to do it when they do kaparot, like uh, Yom Kippur time, 
it is a it's a it's a good mitzvah to have under your belt. Okay, put it in there. Thank you, Rabbi. Appreciate oh, it. Beautiful. Good thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Have a good night. Yes. Rabbi, a new customer. A new customer? You see Ah, <laughs> oh, look at that. Okay, but uh -huh. see you for grandma tonight. And, uh, and Uncle okay. Beautiful. It's nice to see you, honey. Beautiful. So I have a, okay, I you got Jack a commission. Man. You got a commission. You see, I got a commission, right? Yeah, 100%. Sure. Just want to make sure. Two for one. Two for one. <laughs> <laughs> one. Okay, sweetheart. All the best. Good to see you. Thank you. Um, where he's done.
Vicky? Hello? Hello? My Max. husband's going to be 10 minutes late. He's driving home from a speech. He'll be here in a few minutes. Okay, thank you, Sandra. I'm gonna, I'll stay on. So you you keep reporting it. Okay. What's the word, Robertson? Okay, thanks, Sandra. He's on his way home from a speech. He's driving from Avenue M. He needs about 10 minutes. No problem. Thank you for the info. Don't take off your clothes a minute. Relax. Take off your clothes. Sammy has a telescope. Sammy, he's doing his trees. Who's Sammy, honey? Sammy, what? What trees? The back of the landscape. Guys, you're 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 not on mute, and we're in your whole conversation. We love Shalom, shalom, everyone. Shalom, Malki. Rabbi's going to be uh, another seven minutes. He, he's on okay. his way home. He's okay. going to be he a little late. He gives me a chance to say everybody Shabbat shalom, Malki. God bless all of you. Shabbat, Shabbat shalom, Malki. Yes, stay well, happy, healthy, and peaceful, everyone. And have nachat from children, grandchildren, grand grandchildren. Amen. Amen. You too. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Shalom, shalom. Hello. Mm -hmm. 
Hi, does the rabbi have a class tonight? Yes, the rabbi has a class. Yes, oh, he's here. Um, I'm sorry, oh, I was in the deal. I was in Brooklyn. Over, but rabbi, uh, that was a beautiful speech you God made. God bless you. Oh, thank you. Good man, Charlie. Beautiful speech. Shalom, shalom, Rebbe, shalom. Hey, Malka, how do you do? Thank you. All right, so the final night of Ahadimot. Alrighty. And we are up to chapter. <clears throat> As I told you last night, this chapter actually is the reading of Minha of Yom Kippur. And not the most, uh, what should I say? Not the most appetizing of uh, readings, but uh, nonetheless, it is important. The Torah is going to talk about now the grave sin of immorality and the different forbidden relations <clears throat> that we must uh, keep away from. By the better, the one Moshe Nemor, the better Bene Israel speak to the children of Israel, Ani Hashem. I am God. As she says, I am the God that spoke to you at Sinai and said, Anuchi Hashem that I am your God and you accepted me <clears throat> as your king. Now, once you accepted me as your king, now you must accept my decrees as well. And <clears throat> God was well aware of the future of B'nai Yisrael. And he knew that the Jews are going to be uh, attracted to assimilation. And we, we know how right it, it, this is, that if you look at the assimilation rate, unfortunately, of the Jews in America, <clears throat> it's staggering. Outside of our community, thank God. But nonetheless, nine out of ten marriages are outside the religion, which is a a terrible, terrible tragedy. Some have referred to it as the silent Holocaust. <clears throat> so God says, I am God and I know the future and I'm going to hold you accountable if you marry out of our religion. And therefore, uh, God keeps score and he has tally of exactly who's doing what. So when it says, I am the uh, God that knows how to exact punishment and retribution to those that are going to marry uh, those that are forbidden. <clears throat> the next pasuk. Do not follow the practices of the land of Egypt that you lived in. We learned from over here that the most immoral country on earth was the Egyptians. They were degenerate. They committed all sorts of immoral behavior. There was no fidelity in their marriages. <clears throat> they would do all sorts of forbidden things. And as a result, since we live there, so through osmosis, we take on the culture. So God says, don't learn from the Egyptians. Ashir Yishavtemba, that you dwelled amongst them. Now, we are going to Canaan. So we're leaving Egypt, going to Canaan. 
that's going from one decadent uh, culture to another degenerate society. You know, she says, the makom she Israel mekulkal While Egypt was the most degenerate place, the runner-up is Canaan. And we know that the Canaanim are the most degenerate of all nations. So therefore, God is telling us, be careful. Your origins in Egypt and your future in Canaan are going to pose great moral threats against you. And therefore, do not model the practices of these people. Asher ani mevi etchem shamba. Rashi says, Magid sheotam amemin shekavshu Yisrael mekulkalim yoter mekulam. Rashi says actually that <coughs> the nations, the seven nations that the Jewish people conquered were the most degenerate from all of them. So we were really in, uh, in trouble. And do not follow their practices. As she says, what were some of the practices of the Goyim? Well, some of these practices still exist today in America. One is, as she says, the theaters. The Goyim are very big on the theater. God says, you must keep away from those practices of going to the theaters of the Goyim. The Estadiot is the stadiums. Until today, Goyim get together in their stadiums, <clears throat> whether it's for their uh, shows, their concerts, or their ball games, whatever it may be. So that's the practice that belongs to them. The Jew is supposed to really find himself either in the Bet Midrash, or doing chesed, or doing things that are productive, but not to socialize or mingle in the places of the goyim. As she says, this is the ways of the amoraim of the goyim. It meshpatai ta'asu, over here it says, you must carry out my judgments, this is referring to the, to the laws, and follow my <coughs> decrees, uh, to follow them. As she says over here, do not take leave of my laws. You know, you should not say that, well, I learned all the Torah now. Let me go study the wisdom of other nations, like the kids do today in high school. After they graduate, they say, well, I learned all the Torah now. Let me go to college and let me go uh, corrupt myself from some of the, uh, some of the things that the Guim are going to come to teach me. The Pasuk says, no. You never graduate from the study of your Torah, and therefore you're not allowed to come along and say, I learned the wisdom of Judaism. Now let me go taste some of the other wisdoms of the other nations. That's only asking for danger. Here the Torah comes along and teaches us a great lesson that if a person really wants olam haba, which is life, eternal life, the only way uh, to live, which means to live forever, is to live according to the laws of the Torah in this world. And then the high, then you will live eternally. Otherwise, 
if a person does not live a Torah lifestyle, he will live 100 years, and that's it. After that, he expires, and he doesn't have a future. So the Torah says, by keeping the laws of the Torah, you will actually have eternal life. Ish, ish. Now it's talking to a man. He's not allowed to approach his close relatives. Do not uncover their, uh, literally their nakedness, forgive me. Which means the females as well are not allowed to go with people that are forbidden. That's why it says in the plural. The male cannot go with a lady that's forbidden to him and lady to man, vice versa. And now the Torah starts to list them. And God says, Ani Hashem, I will reward you if you stay faithful to the right relationships, and I will punish you if you are in contempt of the wrong relationships. Number one, Erbat Avicha, Erbat Emecha, So a person is not allowed to go with the wife of his father. Again, it does not necessarily mean his mother, because it, it says Erbat Avicha, which means the uh, the, the one that your father goes with. That means your father's wife is going to be uh, forbidden. Uh, <clears throat> and then it says, That's referring to uh, his mother. That is not the wife of his father. Now, how is that a case? To include one's mother, she'eno eshet aviv. So the case must be talking about where let's say, uh, forgive me again, but I'm just reading what we just learned in the Gemara. How do you have a mother that's not the wife of your father? Can anybody figure out a case? Yeah, well, if uh, she got raped. Say, there, Morris had to say it. Okay, you have a picture of that, Morris, in your picture book? Uh, actually not. The point over here is one. the point over here that. is that the Torah is saying that if let's say it was out of marriage, out of wedlock, so therefore it is his mother, but it's not his father's wife because the boy was born. Still, that lady is his mother, even though it's not his father's wife. The Torah says that it's forbidden. Let's I go. No, we don't, they're not racists over here. We're just learning the Pesukim. That's uncalled Ervat eshet abicha lo Ervat abicha hi. Now we're talking about ervat eshet abicha lo tegale. Now what is the uh, eshet abicha? So this is referring to that even after uh, the father dies, which means, let's say the father was married to a lady. Okay, so we just learned that's his father's wife. Can I go with your father's wife? But let's say the father died. So it's not the father's wife anymore, because the father's dead. The pasuk comes and tells me that even after the father dies, one is not allowed to go with the father's wife. Understand? Okay. Now the next pasuk says, Ervat bat your sister who was the daughter of your father, which means it is a paternal sister, half-sister from the father, or bat imecha, or 
she is the sister from your mother's side, which means half-sister maternal. Moledet bayit or moledet chutz, which means even if she is a illegal girl, what makes her illegal? She's called moledet chutz. Moledet chutz means literally she's born outside. What do you mean she's born outside? Well, let's say the father uh, committed adultery. So now the child is a mamzeret. Understand? The father commits adultery as a daughter. That daughter is a mamzeret. But if that's your half-sister, even though she's a mamzeret, it doesn't matter. It's still going to be forbidden. Furthermore, that's a person not allowed to go with his granddaughter. The daughter of his son. Or the daughter of the daughter. Now, all the more so, if a person is not allowed to go with the uh, daughter of his son, the daughter of his son, the granddaughter. That's called Ervat Bat Bencha. Now, if you cannot go with the daughter, this is a big hadush over here. If you're not allowed to go with the daughter of your son, which is called the granddaughter, or the more so you're not allowed to go with your daughter. But the Torah does not mention that. Now, you can make what's called the Kalbahomet. You could say, well, all the more so, that if you cannot go with your granddaughter, so certainly you cannot go with your daughter. However, we have a law that says you cannot derive a prohibition from logic. Prohibitions can only be derived from text. So therefore, they have to learn it from somewhere else. And if you learn Masich Yivamot, for all you people that are learning Masich uh, Yivamot, no, from, from, that was before the Torah. If you open up Masichi Yibamot on page three, you can ask your husbands who are learning Masichi Yibamot, open page three, and you learn that the Gemara learns some Pesukim, how a daughter is forbidden. That means nowhere in the Torah does it say explicitly you can't go with your daughter. It says granddaughter. But how do you know daughter? The Gemara makes a Gezerah Shavah, Zima, Zima, Henna, Henna. I'm not going to explain it to you. One more. Now, could you believe this? We read this on Yom Kippur. How did this become the reading of Yom Kippur? You'd figure on Yom Kippur we'd read some holy, you know, Kabbalah or something like that. After all, we're reading this at the end of the fast where we're on such a high spiritual level. You'd think the last thing on anybody's mind is this perversion of promiscuity. Why would the rabbis decide that this should be the reading when we are the holiest, you know, uh, 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 of the year? You know, nobody feels more spiritual than Minha Yom Kippur. You know, it's a, we have 23 hours of fasting under our belts. We didn't uh, benefit from anything in Olam Azir. We have a head in the Mahzor the whole day. Nobody's thinking about any of this. And that becomes the reading on Yom Kippur. 
who has an answer to that? Well, the answer might be that the Torah is coming to say that although now you're on a moment of spiritual high, don't forget you're a human being and the Yitzhah is going to come back and therefore you have to be reminded do not be lackadaisical and think, oh, sin is going to be removed from me because I'm on such a high level. So no, even though you're, uh, you know, in the sky at this moment, you have to know you're still subject to sin. And we know that the rule is the greater a person is, the greater his tests are. So therefore, the reading on Yom Kippur reminds you not to rest on your spiritual level to think that you're not uh, going to be subject to these uh, to these averot as well. You know, there's going to come a time of the year where you're going to fall from the level, and if you'll remember what you learned on Menhav Kippur. Les Pasuk, Ervat, Ervat Bat Eshet Avicha, Moledet Avicha, Achotecha Hi, Lotegale Ervata. So this is talking about over here, about a, a, a sister, who's not allowed to go with his sister, uh, but only a sister from a uh, Jewish mother, but not a sister from a, a non-Jew. So let's say uh, uh, the father had uh, a, a son from a Jewish wife, and then he had a daughter from a non-Jewish wife, so therefore they're not considered brother and sister. And therefore, that's not considered going with one's uh, sister. Uh, now, obviously, he's not allowed to go with the Goya, but it's not considered cohabitating with his sister. Ervat achot avicha that is referring to a uh, aunt, achot avicha, the sister of your father, it's forbidden, it's called an aunt, lotigale, ervat achot imecha lotigale, Furthermore, one is not allowed to go with the uh, uh, the sister of his mother. That's a maternal aunt. So you cannot go with the paternal aunt or a maternal aunt. Now here's the big subject. You're not allowed to go. A lady is not allowed to go with her uncle. The brother of your father. The brother of your father is your uncle. El And for that matter, you're not allowed to go with his wife. That is Dodatechahi. That is your aunt. So therefore, that is forbidden as well. Very good. And uh, the Torah says, Ervat One is not allowed to go with the daughter-in-law. Eshet Bencha, the wife of your son. Okay, we'll stop with this one because this is a big subject. One is not allowed to go and be with his brother's wife. Brother's wife. That is forbidden from the Torah. Sister-in-law. It's called a sister-in-law in the vernacular. That is correct. We have a word for that sister-in-law. However, there is one case that this law is waived. 
And that corrects Sandra. That's the mitzvah of Yibum. When he dies. When someone passes away. You got it. We're learning Masichi Yibamot now. So it's on our minds. Let's say the brother passes away and leaves his widow childless. Now the Torah says the brother of the deceased has a mitzvah to marry the widow, the sister-in-law, and that mitzvah is called Yibum. So it's interesting. At one point, this lady was forbidden, and then all of a sudden she becomes permissible, not only permissible, but yes, it becomes a mitzvah. And that's called the mitzvah of Yibum. Now, we also learned that the brother-in-law, let's say the girl, does not want to make Yibum with this guy. She's not interested. Uh, He's not interested, let's say. So then you cannot just walk away. You need to sever the bond. There's a bond that's created between the widow and the brother-in-law. That bond either is consummated in Yibum, it's a marriage, or it must be severed through a procedure that's called Halitza. Today's time, Rabbi? We still do it. I attended several Halitza ceremonies in our generation. They do it. It definitely applies today. The the man wears a uh, specific shoe, and the lady goes along and takes the shoe off, and she spits in front of him, and she recites certain pesukim and the betin, you know, reads certain uh, uh, recitations. And that's the only procedure that is able to free this lady now to get married to somebody else. Until she does the process of halitza, she cannot marry anybody. She's stuck. The halitza is like a divorce. It's a divorce of a yibum. A divorce will not help to break the connection of yibum. It's got to do through that uh, process. And just as an FYI, it's a special shoe. And it has special specifications, this shoe. And the rabbis of the community that performed this ceremony needed the shoe. And you can't buy it from Stride Bike. You know, it's not a standard uh, shoe. So the rabbis went to El Asafti, Alaba Shalom, was the biggest, you know, shoe man uh, in the community, probably in the world. And uh, he went to Hong Kong and he produced a Halitza shoe. And uh, he has original Halitza shoe, not the bestseller, of course. But still today, the Betin uses Ellis's shoe that he uh, manufactured for the Halitza. I have a question. What what his status has to be? He has to be single. He has to um, have his wife. in In the olden days, you were allowed to take more than one wife. So therefore, even if the brother who's alive is married, he still has an obligation to take his sister-in-law. In oh Yibu or Halitza, yeah, he could have two wives in the older days. Wow, yeah. like barbaric. Not, not barbaric, what's the matter to have more than one wife? <laughs> barbaric, what's, what does that mean? A rabbi, it's, it's, it's a being a widow. Divorcing someone, tell about King Solomon. The problem of having... Right? More than one wife is because you have too many mothers-in-law. That might be the problem, but not to have wives. <laughs> <laughs> He's listening. He's listening. First, you can only have one mother-in-law. Then uh, more than one mother-in-law go crazy. Better but be careful. Oh, that was the best. That's why Adam and Ishan lived to 930 because he didn't have a mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. 
We'll wish you a Shabbat Shalom. It should be the Thank flash. you, Rabbi. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you, Shabbat Shalom. Thank you, Shabbat Shalom. Thank you, Shabbat Shalom. Thank you, Rabbi. God bless you. Bye. Bye. Bye.